0: If you're lucky, a hurricane in human form will blow through your life and upend what seem like the boundaries of the possible. I've weathered several. When I was 18, I stumbled across the work of Charles Bowden, then went to sea on an ancient wooden sailboat and wrote my father a letter. It began, fuck you, Charles Bowden. My old man sent the letter to Chuck's publisher at GQ, who, somewhat inexplicably, sent it on to Chuck and so began a relationship with a mentor who had introduced me to some of the most fascinating people I've ever met, including the swashbuckling, gun-slinging DEA agent Hector Boreas, who became the subject of the last narc. A few years later, I bullshitted my way into a press pass and began writing for a small newspaper in Berkeley, California. It occurred to me that I now had a license to meet any of my heroes who might deign to take my call. Errol Morris was on tour with a new film, and I got the last interview of the day with him when he was sick and tired of answering the same predictable questions about his strange new movie. Instead, he took me to dinner at the top of the Mark, the birthplace of the martini overlooking San Francisco on the top floor of the Mark Hopkins Hotel. After a drunken dinner, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, you're either gonna spend the rest of your life writing about people like me, or you're gonna go try your hand at this. I quit the paper the next day. Unlike me, the young filmmaking duo behind The Exiles, Ben Klein and Violet Columbus, clocked the hurricane right off and had the wisdom to turn it into a film. In their case, the subject was the firebrand intellectual, professor, and acclaimed filmmaker, Christine Choi. Inside of their portrait of Choi, is a film within a film, one she shot in the aftermath of Tiananmen Square, but which languished in forgotten film canisters until Ben and Violet horsewhispered whispered Choi into being the star of their movie and yoked her vision to theirs in a brilliant new film. If you haven't seen The Exiles yet, stop what you're doing and do so. Without further ado, I give you a conversation with Ben Klein and Violet Columbus um ben violet welcome to the show i absolutely loved your movie so i'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk
1: with you guys thank you so oh, thank much you so much
0: thanks for uh, having us
1: did, we we talk at the same time there's gonna be a lot of crosstalk but yeah thank you uh thank you
0: so I, I like much. it. it's the first it's the first directing team we've done so it'll be like lively and we can step on each other's lines all day and leave it to post to sort out
1: <laughs> great wonderful well, we're um, really excited to be here we're huge fans of your work so thank you for having us on
0: well, it's just a—it's a—it's a magnificent movie. I was so captivated. I um, mean, you know, let me extol all the virtues. Uh, you know, just out of the gate. Um. A, just as a character, Christine is just such an amazing character, you know, from the second she like walks on screen and uh, so just sort of provocative, captivating and vital. And then I loved the way that you took all of kind of the ingredients from her. Her films and from the original footage and integrated that into your visual style. I'm assuming that you guys also shot, you know, 16 in those additional scenes and used similar lenses and framing and stuff like that. But before I go on and on, tell me the backstory. Like, how did you guys come to this movie? Like, how did it walk into your lives and and how did it become a movie?
2: Um, Well, it really all started in 2013 when Ben and I met in Christine Choi's documentary production class at NYU.
0: I knew it. (laughs) I knew it.
2: Yeah. So we met there and we clicked and we started making projects together. Um, And we also clicked with Christine and she became a mentor to us. And we were sophomores then, Um, but throughout the rest of our collegiate career. We'd hang out with Christine. We'd always show her what we were working on. We'd go to her house. She'd cook us dinner, and we'd get drunk and smoke cigarettes. Um, And she was just this amazing mentor to us. And after we graduated, Ben and I were talking about, um, you know, like, what do we want to do? What what projects are we interested in? And we always had an idea that a, a documentary about Christine would be perfect. She can carry her own documentary. It's an interesting way to explore a documentarian I think um and so we started really lightly shooting like dinners and stuff but we didn't quite know what angle to come at Christine from because she's so multifaceted and there's really an embarrassment of riches there if you just want to make a character study um Mm -hmm. and then in in 2016 yeah um she came to us one night and she gave us this hard drive and she has I've I've this seven hours of footage from 1989, and I don't know what to do with it. Um, You guys
1: take a look, what do you think? She came with the gift. Yeah. The gift of a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, as Violet said, we had just been filming a lot of dinners with Christine. Initially, the film was called Dinner with Choi, and that was actually the uh, working title we had on it for years. Um, but when we watched the footage, I mean, it, first of all, it was preserved incredibly well, considering that it had just sat in a storage locker, untouched for almost 30 years. Uh, so it was beautifully shot and really well preserved, but it was pretty clear right away that this was like a historic moment that Christine had captured. And especially as we talked through with her, you know, the circumstances surrounding the footage, uh, the Tiananmen Square massacre, the aftermath, the exiles fleeing, it became really clear that this was something very important and something that had to be, you know, make its way out into the world and to finally be seen.
0: Uh, okay, I want Can I, let me interrupt and sort of rewind for a second, because I'm curious, when you first sit down with her and you guys kind of are pitching her on the idea of like, actually, we want to flip the lens and put you at the business end of the barrel, like how much wooing does that take, like what's the pitch, how sort of soft is it, like what's the process of kind of getting her on board? Because that's, you know, one of the fundamental arts of documentary is that, that kind of dance you do with your subject.
1: I mean, she's just so captivating that we'd always been filming her ever since we were her students. You know, we would film her on our phones. We would cast her in our short films. You know, we always thought Christine was a movie star in her own right. She's a star. And she Uh, liked having the camera
2: on herself. Like, uh, you know, when there wasn't really a goal for so many years through college and stuff, and we just would, you know, put her iPhone on her, she didn't really care. She liked it. She'd perform for the camera.
1: So I think there right. wasn't really like, a, you know, an official conversation about making a movie with about her, really until the footage came into play. And that's when, you know, we looked at the footage and we thought, well, there's not enough here. You know, they had only done a handful of shoots. There's not enough here to really cut it into its own thing. But what if we were to follow Christine as she reunites with these men and it's sort of a film within a film. And when we told her about that idea, she just freaked, she loved it. She was all in, you know, willing to do whatever it took to make it happen.
0: It's so fascinating, you know, like everything, I know every film that I've ever made, I sort of go into it with, okay, here's this very crystal clear or totally half-assed and vague idea of what the movie is going to be. And then at some point there's this like wild right turn and it's like, oh, actually you're not making that movie, you're making this movie. And it sounds like that moment when she hands you guys the hard drive and suddenly the idea catalyzes of kind of the meta nature of, you know, a film within a film, a film about a documentarian, the ability to go between then and now and to follow the story kind of in, pre, in present tense, that's when it really begins to crystallize for you guys.
2: Yeah, I think it, seeing that footage, it, it really all clicked for Ben and I. And then it was convincing people of what we saw in our heads would actually be a good movie. Um, yeah, Christine was really excited about like the form of it all. She really liked the film within a film aspect. And I think um that was helpful to get her on board because she's always looking to expand and explore new versions of documentary. So I think she was excited by the meta nature of it.
0: Well, that's it's one of the things that's so exciting about, you know, your movie in particular is the documentary format is so is malleable in a way that feature films aren't right. I mean, feature films is always just like it's kind of always been the same. And there's variations within narrative storytelling. But docs, you can sort of bend them inside out, refract them back on themselves like there's so much flexibility. And I loved I, I think why I was so excited by by the movie was it shows you what the potential. Of the medium is, and the different ways you can sort of stretch and collapse time, follow it backwards, follow it forwards, and, and it was just a really, um, you know, you've you've taken the medium and you've 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 nudged it forward in a way, you know, like docs are different now, and that's the sign of like an awesome movie. So so cheers.
1: Thank that's you. Very,
2: that's crazy to hear. Thank you.
1: Very kind. Yeah, um, I think that's what's like uh, so exciting to us as young filmmakers in the doc space. I mean, I think the most you know the most innovation in my eyes is being done in the doc space, not in the narrative space. So many of the films that we were on the festival circuit with last year are just incredibly cinematic, incredibly engaging, and, and pushing the form forward. So. Uh you know, we're th- we're thrilled to be making doc films at this particular point yeah, it's
0: in time. A- it's, it's, it's a really exciting time and it's really, it's cool to see the sort of like fresh voices and injection of energy of which you guys are, you know, avatars at the moment. So, so, so cheers. Um, so talk about like from the discovery of the hard drive to like, okay, but how do we turn this into a real movie? How the hell do we convince the world that this is going to be a movie? How do we get money? How do we get like, what's the process from discovery of hard drive to, you know, the next, the next step in the path?
1: It was really, you know, like any movie, you just have to start making it and hope people catch on and people start supporting what you're gonna do. We made this movie with an incredibly small team of friends, you know, classmates from from school and friends and people who were willing to donate their time to help us out. Um, the first year or so was speaking with a lot of Christine's former collaborators and, and former students and people who knew her uh, while we tracked down the Chinese dissidents themselves, which was not easy. Uh, mm-hmm. We we finally were able to find War Kai Shi, uh, the young student activist living in Taiwan.
0: Amazing character, too. Amazing character as well.
1: He's yeah. an unbelievable person, and we're just so lucky to have spent so much time with him. He's become a very close friend Uh but yeah, we found him in Taiwan and that's when we, we were able to, you know, travel over there and spend some time with him. And until that point, it was still a question, I think, in our heads of whether the film was going to work with these two separate storylines, separate timelines. But, you know, the minute War kai and Christine saw each other and their faces lit up, you know, that's when we felt like it might work. And then for the five hours after that, they didn't stop talking to each other and we rolled the entire time. Um, so I think leaving that trip was like a, a huge turning point where we felt like, okay, we've, we've got a film, we just have to continue making it.
2: Yeah, and that moment's in the film as well, when Kai She and Christine see each other. It's caught on film and it's like that sort of energy was like, okay, like they both remember each other, there's this connection there and they're, they both experienced this thing and they're like ready to dive back into it. And that was what kind of the five hours post was as well. Um, then just like, you know, really raring to go to talk about this thing and to rediscover it.
0: Well, what's so amazing about that moment in the movie is you can feel the kind of like palpable excitement of like the reconnection cutting through all the years, because really like it's a moment in time that's captured, you know, in 89 as she's shooting. And then all of a sudden it's like the years get smashed away and you're seeing these two like excited to connect. And then I love the way that you progressively uh, like the screening of the footage and the reaction where he's just sitting there like hand over his mouth, you know, awestruck at sort of seeing the the sort of young idealistic man that he once was and then you know juxtaposed with where they are in the moment it's really that's a you know that's it's a it's a powerful moment that you then play you know becomes a, a sort of um you know a visual trope and a visual tool that you then sort of extend throughout um let me ask a question the the master interview that you shot with christine which like a i just loved the look of that it was so um like it was elegant in its sort of beauty and simplicity and and just so classy like when did you shoot that interview talk about the look that that you end up sort of you know crafting for that like give us some insight into your process there
2: um we shot it november 2020 right ben
1: it was halloween halloween, 2020. halloween Yeah, because we
2: couldn't we were in a theater and like theaters don't let you in like use the theater on halloween for an old superstition so we had a pre-light on the 30th and then the actual interview on the first yeah because the theater wouldn't let us in
0: now i remember okay so in in like chronologically is this before you guys have been to taiwan or or is it so you shoot the master interview at the end after you sort of know the the elements that you're working with yeah it was pretty
1: much our final shot shoot Mm -hmm. it was our final like you know final interview for sure we shot some b-roll after i I think you know we always had prepared for this interview and knew we wanted to do it last we knew this had to be the last thing we did and we had been building up all this trust with christine and all this comfortability like this had to be what seals the movie together and i think for that reason we kind of put it off and kept putting it off uh-huh. Uh, and then once we got the financing, uh, for post, which is an interesting story, we should get into it. But once we knew we were going to go into post in at the top of 21, we, it was like time we have, we have to shoot this, you know, during COVID we weren't sure if we were ever going to be able to shoot this interview. So we were so thrilled to, to actually get in the studio with her. Um, I think you mentioned the, the style and the shooting of it i want to give a lot of credit to our cinematographers connor smith and alex o. schmidt we spent a ton of time with them designing how we wanted this to look and to feel and we wound up shooting it uh, on three digital cameras rolling simultaneously and one 16 millimeter film camera which actually belonged to christine it was the same camera and lenses i was wondering yeah.
0: I was, I saw it and I was like, I bet you they shot on that same camera. So what format are you shooting? What cameras are you shooting? If you remember off the top of your head, if not, no sweat, but like, and then one of the interesting things is, you know, in Christine's initial footage, you see the use of the like zoom lens, you know, and all the 89 stuff. And I love the zoom and everybody's so far away from zooms and yet, and then you kind of replicate that look, you know, in the interview, talk about the kind of, give me more on the design of it. and and the kind of execution of it, because I thought it was so smartly and elegantly done.
1: Yeah, I think the digital cameras, I believe it was a Sony fs 7 F9, and a Blackmagic Pocket as like the wide C camera. And then Christine's camera is SR. Um, and I, I don't remember the make of the lenses, but we love that zoom lens. And she's just such a brilliant cinematographer the way she utilizes, you know, slow zoom, snap zooms all of it. So we definitely did want to replicate, you know, we watched a lot of her films heading into it. Yeah. Um, And, and
2: Connor shot that, um, Connor Smith shot the film portion of the master interview and he was just, he's such a, I don't don't know, just like a studied person. He just like definitely Chris, he knew how to like utilize the Christine Choi like aesthetic. And so he just, Mm -hmm. he has great timing and, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's just very good at it. He's very natural. I feel like he was just like very tapped into Christine's style and then brought it on the day in a very big way for like, what, six hours, Ben, we shot. So Yeah,
1: the timing <laughs> is actually like a funny piece of that because you know, yeah. the interview is about, I, I want to say four and a half hours long in total of running time. And obviously we didn't have four and a half hours of 16 millimeter film, which we realized the night before. And we said, well, how are we going to sync this? And then Connor had this great idea. Let's put a lav mic on the camera so you'll know when it's rolling. And we actually wound up using that as like a sound effect throughout the film. You know, the sound. Yeah, the I love camera. that. Yeah.
0: Love that. That was that was so so small. Like for the you have all these gems for the film nerds to like <laughs> pluck out. And I was just totally geeking out the whole time. Um So a couple of things that I want to dive even further in, in terms of the look of that, like really it's a, it's a very simple set of elements that you've got in there. You've got the rug, you've got what looks like a photographic backdrop um, and, you know, the table so she can ash her, you know, reach for a smoke and ash when she needs to. But like there's a. There's this wonderful spareness to it. And, you know, you, you guys have very carefully from, you know, frame one all the way in, acknowledge the meta nature of it, whether it be, you know, the, the, the you know, frame lines at the top and bottom of the, of the frame. And then in that master interview, cutting to the wide shot where you're seeing the boom mic hanging down and, and, and whatever else. In terms of the design, just the actual visual look of it, like what were the influences going into it? Because I just loved it. I thought it was so elegant.
2: Well, I think it was important for us for it to be very cinematic feeling. And there was a reference photo from The Master by Paul Thomas Anderson when um, they're shooting Philip Seymour Hoffman, like behind, like, you know, in a very classic, like portraiture background. And so we really... We looked for a while to find that specific background because we wanted it to be like kind of blue, kind of gray, like uh, a good texture, just something that like really felt that way. And like the big the big light that's like, you know, making it feel like glamorous, sort of, but still understated. Um, And we focused a lot on that. So actually, we got to like we realized that we didn't really think about like what chair she was going to sit on wait, actually the floor is bare. Oh, she's gonna need a side table. So funnily enough, that is the rug. We basically got there after we had like really thought about the planning and the lighting. And then we realized that we didn't have the rest of the set. Oh
0: shit, we forgot all
2: this other important (laughs) stuff. And I was like, well, my rug from my bedroom is like blue and I think it'll kind of work. And those are also just like side tables from like my living room that ended up working, I think they're Ikea, um, and then- it, It's
0: so perfectly designed, I just love it. <laughs> it and worked. I love the ad hoc nature of it. Like that, like this is Docs, right? Like yeah. suddenly gun to your head there, it kind of manifests itself. And then
2: that was actually a chair Christine was giving away. So it was nice to have her sit in a piece of furniture that she lived with and that she like, first of all, looked visually like it's very Christine, but then also just like, you know, something that she sat in before and that she can be comfortable smoking
1: in really. Yep. Yep. You mentioned it. I mean, one of the most important things for us in finding the space was which theater is going to let us smoke inside. Because if yeah, she, I knew it. You know, yeah. I knew it. If she doesn't have her cigarettes, she's not going to be comfortable. It just had to, you know, it had to be that.
0: What about the kind of, you know, for me anyway, you know, it, that I have found in, in in the films that I've made, there is this kind of deft orchestration of performance in the sense that, you know, you need somebody comfortable, able, you know, in a position where they can absolutely be themselves. And of course she strikes me as somebody who is absolutely herself, you know, even acknowledges it in the film at all moments, but like, did you, you know, did you guys have to prep her? Was she ready to just bring it on the day? Like what kind of going into that shoot, what do you, what do you do to make sure it's going to be lights out?
1: did a lot of research um christine wrote an autobiography that i believe was only published in hong kong that we used as like sort of a major bible and then you know just going over lots of old footage i don't think there was a ton of you know talking to her beforehand about how she should come off we, we never really direct her in that way um She's, you know, we, she's definitely to our biggest
2: direction was like be yourself. Like we just, we wanted right. it to be very Christine and you're talking to Ben and Violet and like, it it was very much a conversation between us and her. And I think that was just the important part.
0: Well, it's, it comes off as both intimate and authentic, which is, you know, the exact goal of the enterprise. So, so, so beautifully done. Um, You had mentioned before, Ben, the, um, you know, the process of like, okay, now we're going into post now it's a like tell the story of how like, okay, now it becomes a movie and now we got to cut this thing. And like, how does all that, you know, where do you bring in Soderbergh and Columbus and you know, those folks, how does that all come to pass?
1: Yes. So, you know, starting shooting around 2017, um, we had been working with Chris Columbus and Maiden Voyage Pictures from that point. And, uh, you know, we had shot with each of the exiles over the course of about three and a half years. And we felt like we had the movie, but we were so excited about the story. And we were constantly meeting new people in the community and, you know, picking up new characters and thinking about, new shoots and we just kind of kept shooting. I think we could have stopped, but uh, we were were really excited about where it was heading. Um, But it was also tough to find the right partners. You know, we had talked to various production companies and no one seemed to really understand what exactly we were going for with this film. Uh, And then when COVID hit, suddenly we couldn't shoot anymore and we were locked in our house and we, you know, started looking at the footage and saying like, could this be, do we have the film? Could we start cutting it's, the yeah. film? Um, and we, we went back to our pitch materials and really workshops them. And we're, we're trying to find the funds to get this finished. And I was talking with a producer friend of mine, uh, Richard Arlick, about trying to find finishing funds. And he mentioned that he knew Steven Soderbergh. Uh, and I said, oh, that's so funny. Christine tells this story all the time about Steven Soderbergh. It actually was in the film at one point. We had to cut it, sadly, but the story goes that Christine and Steven were staying at the same condo in Park City when they were, it was both their first time at Sundance, and uh, Christine was staying downstairs where the phone was, and Steven was staying upstairs, and the phone was ringing nonstop for Steven because Sex, Lies, and Videotape won that year and everyone was calling for Steven. So Christine said, Hey, Steven, why don't we switch rooms? You need to be near the phone. No one's calling for me. Um,
0: Amazing. Amazing. Amazing.
1: So, you know, I asked my friend if, if he could ask Steven, if he remembered Christine and of course he did. And uh, we sent him the pitch materials and just right away, he was like, I want to be a part of this thing. What, what can I do to help? And he was extremely generous and you know, became an executive producer and essentially funded a majority of post-production.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead, Violet.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say it was pretty nuts to get an email back from Soderbergh saying, what do you guys need? It was just like, <laughs> ugh, it was very crazy.
0: He's been such a, um, you know, kind of brilliant and amazing, apart from all of the, like, you know, jaw-dropping work that he's done, he's been this, you know, godfather to all these people along the way and been generous of his, you know, time and energy. And I remember I called him a couple of years ago and was like, you know, I need some advice. Can you, like, just take an hour and, like, talk me through, you know, what to do with the next stage of this? And he was so... um, gracious and generous and he's done that for so many people it's so um you know like thank god steven soderbergh is out there you know like what a what a what a a blessing to the world
1: amen yeah Uh, he was so tremendously helpful and involved in giving notes which I, I don't understand how he has the time to do, considering all that he does with his own work and others. Um, but he was incredibly supportive, and you know we're we're so grateful. So
0: talk about the edit a bit. Like I think, if I'm not mistaken, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like Connor was shooting. Was Connor was also cutting? yeah he's our main editor so talk about so so yeah talk about that you know that's it's a rare and precious gift to have somebody that has like that eye as a cinematographer and then also is able to you know go into the edit and really reveal the soul of something particularly with a complex structure like this um you know talk about working with with connor and sort of you know what how you guys tackle the edit how long are you cutting and what's the process
2: Yeah. Well, Connor rules that just, just to start Start there. He's great. Um, he is like, it's crazy how talented he is at, at cinematography and at editing. He's very deft. He's very educated. Um, he's very knowledgeable and he's just very good at, uh, just new innovative ideas. So working with Connor was amazing. We actually cut the film in his bedroom, which he has kind of made into a makeshift studio, uh, and we pretty much edited all of 2021. It was pretty much a year, a full year of editing. We got, we got the Sundance-like submission cut by the end of August um, and Connor would be editing and Ben and I would come in three or four times a week. Um, and it was just this amazing collaborative back and forth, truly.
0: So talk about that a little bit. You know, it's an interesting relationship as co-directors that you, that the two of you have. And then the relationship with the editor, which, as we all know, is so fundamental to the like execution of a doc. How do you guys divide up the, the sort of duties and pass the baton back and forth as directors? How does that work?
1: Yeah, you know, we just have different strengths and different weaknesses. And we, we always say, like, that's why there's two of us to cover <laughs> the other one's ass a little bit. Uh, and then having Connor as the third key collaborator was crucial because, you know, there was always someone to make a decision if, if we a were tie running breaker. heads.
0: Yeah, yeah tiebreaker.
1: But it was all in service of the film always, and we all trust each other. Um, you know, just to tack on a little bit about the edit, like the way we started or the way Connor started was by looking at the 1989 material, which he had seen in pieces before, but he worked through that and then we sort of worked backwards from there we had those scenes cut and started exploring you know how to put the other pieces together i mean we, we took our time it was a very very difficult film to edit there was so much going on and so many different timelines and storylines and uh, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled where we got, we also had a, a great editing team around Connor as well. Uh, Colton Fordyce was a co-editor and, uh, we had two great assistant editors, Vivian Hu and Ryan Muller. Um, so, you know, they were cutting scenes, passing them to Connor. He was cutting them back, passing them back. It was like a lot, a real team collaborative effort
0: it sounds it sounds amazing um are you guys screening for folks along the way or are you kind of like hoarding it to yourselves until you feel like it's cooked like what's your process of like sharing work and progress and and you know i mean one of the great like question marks with documentaries you hit on this with shooting but it's like you when the hell does it end when do we when do we put down the paintbrush you know so so talk about that like you know talk about that in the edit
1: we screened for you know for team members, obviously, we screened for our executive producers who gave, you know, tremendously helpful notes. Uh, we were working with Endeavor content, uh, and they gave some very helpful notes along the way, but it was mostly, you know, kept it close until we felt like we had a pretty solid first cut, or I mean, I would, I would call it probably a third or fourth cut. Yeah. That's when we did our first test screening, which was really helpful as well. Yeah. Um,
2: Yeah, but there was already so many, I don't know, having three people in the edit and having three people so invested in the edit and with strong opinions, I felt like to keep my head clear besides showing cuts to people who really needed to see them, like it was important to me to really keep it within the editing team because it was, I mean, things were changing every day. Like we'd have new ideas, like the America section didn't really get added until like late in the game. And so these things would come in and... The amount of time I think it would take to explain to someone who hadn't gone through like the previous stages of the edit, like what we're trying to get out of this like particular screening, it was just like too, too complicated. I was like happy to keep it in our little brain trust while it could live there.
0: Well, and that's a big and diverse brain trust, you know, where you've got three people that know, Okay, we've overturned, you know, turned this stone over. We've gone down this cul-de-sac and doubled back like you really have by that point, you know, it, it is you know it's a funny thing as a director right it's like when do you put the gates up and not let anybody in and when do you let the gates down and get the feedback and it's it's a you know it's a complex it's a complex juggle and i'm sure particularly with you know three strong voices in there you you had a you had a powerful brain trust cooking on it for
1: sure In our little bedroom in Brooklyn.
0: In a little bedroom in Brooklyn, right? Steam coming out of it, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So how much does the film change from the cut that you submit to Sundance to the the final like locked picture version of it? And are you scrambling until the very last second? Need you lock picture? When do you like what's that process?
1: The cut itself didn't change all that much, uh, very minorly, we you know, getting the news about Sundance was obviously very exciting. And then suddenly it's like, holy shit, we have to finish this movie in a month when everyone it's is supposed to be real on Christmas now. break. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so we still had to do a sound mix, uh, color, you know, all those finishing steps. And then we were pulling in new archival and pieces like that. The cut itself didn't really change, um, but it was tough. I mean, it was all, COVID was still like raging. And so like a few of our sound and color sessions had to be pushed because of Omicron and, you know, things got pretty dicey there for a second. So it was like a mad, as with everything with this movie, it was like a mad scramble the entire way through.
0: Yes. And what was that experience like? You know, you know, there's the sort of Sundance scene at the top of the movie. Like, what's that like sort of suddenly sitting there, like with the Sundance scene in the movie at Sundance? Like, what was that? What was the sort of final, you know, coming out, uh, like, you know, seeing it in front of an audience and and there at Sundance? Describe that experience for us.
2: Well, we weren't at Sundance. It was canceled. (laughs) So it was
0: imaginary. It happened in your head.
1: sadly yeah it was virtual uh because of omicron so uh it was different than you know we had like you dream your whole life about having a movie in sundance and then uh you finally get in and it's uh changed to an online thing but it was it was special in its own way you know uh we had an online premiere uh and thousands of people watched it which is is very cool feeling and uh then we were lucky enough to win the grand jury prize and uh which was an insane honor and something we could have never expected and that night we went out uh christine was giving a was doing a screening of uh who killed vincent chin at this like very tiny repertory movie theater in brooklyn called the spectacle and they asked violet and i to uh moderate her q a like weeks before and it just happened to coincide with the night they announced the grand jury prize So we moderated the Q&A and then we went out to a bar and it starts snowing. Just excuse me. It starts uh, it starts snowing, just dumping snow in New York. And we're all in our jackets and celebrating. And it it really did feel like Sundance for a minute there.
0: Amazing. Amazing. That's a great image. Um, Well, I I just, uh, you know, I want to close by, uh, I guess, thanking you guys for, it was so inspiring to sit down and watch this movie both in terms of like i don't know just i you know it's a rare and precious experience to you know film goers when you're like wow that feels fresh and new and kind of alive and uh vital And, and and it and you know building you know, stretching and building the genre and it, and it really felt like, uh, or the medium rather, it really felt like that's what that, that's what it, that's what it was for me. So I uh, I'm so grateful uh, that you guys made the movie, put it into the world and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your, your time and your process and your horror stories and your uh, you know, moments of victory. It's uh it's, it's quite an accomplishment. It's a brilliant movie. You guys.
2: Thank you so much. I mean, it was an honor for us to be able to make this film and, we're over the moon with the response. And hearing that we pushed medium, like that's, what more can I really ask for?
0: I can't wait to see what you guys do next. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you so much for having us (laughs)
2: on. Yeah, thank you. All right,
0: appreciate you guys very much. Likewise. Thank you to Ben Klein and Violet Columbus for sharing their time and telling their story of making the exiles. And thank you to Christine Choi for being brave and bold and fearless and leading the charge for so many years. And thank you to all the dissidents who gathered in Tiananmen Square in 1989, both the living and the dead. Your stories are not forgotten. I'm Tiller Russell. See you next time on The Dangerous Art of the Documentary.
1: The Dangerous Art of the Documentary is a Tillerman Films production. Executive producers are Tiller and Fitz, our producer is Jacob Miller. Music by Zydepunk. The show is executive produced and distributed by Jake Brennan and Brady Sadler for Double Elvis Productions. Thanks for listening and please don't forget to subscribe.